0: What's going on, folks? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked on Pit Podcast, your daily podcast covering the Pittsburgh Panthers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As usual, I am Nick fairby right for Pittsburgh Sports. Now, call games at WPTS Radio, and I am a production assistant at ACC Network. And folks, today we're going to talk about Pitt men's basketball. They fall to Georgia Tech at home after that three-game win streak. And I will have a special guest joining me today. It will be Steven Gertz from rivals we'll talk about it all here coming up on locked on pit
1: you are locked on pit your daily podcast on the pittsburgh panthers part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: What's going on, folks? Welcome back to the Locked On Pit podcast. As always, appreciate you guys for making Locked On Pit your first listen every day. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube if you're listening. Leave a review, give me feedback. Always want to make this show as good as it can be. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And, folks, I I guess we got to get right into it. We got to talk about the the albatross in the room it's pit georgia tech Pitt losing and that's when i welcome in my guest steven gertz and steve how are you doing today man
1: i'm doing well man how about you nick
0: i'm doing really great and so it's been great to have you on uh steven and I, re- I really wanted to talk to you through a few things about pit because again you are you know you have the former nba scout cred you know this stuff like it's essentially your the back of your hand and Pitt overall, I guess the difference between their three-game win streak against Florida State, NC State, and UNC, and then to this game against Georgia Tech, it felt like to me the guard play was just on a different level. It felt like when their guards started to find a groove in that three-game win streak, it felt like this was a massive step back, at least for me.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree uh, from the guard standpoint, for sure. You know, none of the Burton and Otakali did not have a really good game. You know, Horton shot the ball okay, but, you know, did have some turnovers, dribbling, passing. I think that was one of the things that really stood out is, you know, a lot of their struggles were attributed to dribbling the ball, passing the ball. You know, you mentioned their three-game win streak. One of the things you saw that Pitt actually has adjusted to is teams started hedging Pitt's ball screens a ton. And so what Pitt has kind of countered with is you've seen some of those Ram screens where someone does the screen to screener action that's allowing call your particularly even Gee and Hughley to kind of set a screen with their defender trailing. So they can't hedge now Georgia tech plays a lot of that zone. So you didn't get to see a lot of that action. They weren't able to use a lot of ball screens. That's how Femi gets going, particularly rejecting ball screens. That's a big part of Burton's game. And I think that really contributed to some of their struggles. Yeah. Which I find interesting because I, I, Jeff Capel said in the post game that he
0: was worried about this matchup, and I think you just kind of explained why. It kind of left Pitt's guards and their strengths. It, it kind of counteracted what they did. But I, I guess when you look at it overall, what's the biggest issue for that team? Why can't they break a 1-3-1 one, one? that Georgia Tech was running a good bit? Why is that zone so potent against them? Is it because they need that point guard? Is it because they need another penetrator? Do they need a quicker guy there? Uh, Well, what's what's the what's the way to fix that for next year?
1: Well, I think it's actually something that you've been touching on uh, recently, Nick, is they don't really have that point guard that can kind of dictate flow and get them into things. They do a lot of kind of your turn, my turn when it comes to Femi and when it comes to Jamarius. And that kind of takes them out of rhythm. So because it takes them a long time to get into some of their actions, their early actions, whether it's DHO with dribble handoffs or you've seen some Chicago action, you've seen some of those things, wedges, ramps. They don't really do a lot of that effectively, so they're left with about half the shot clock trying to get into something. You saw some success early with Horton in the corner and Gee in the corner, and that was how to attack that one-three-one. and then they just kind of go away from it for times. I just think and that comes down to either what's coming in from the sidelines or that just coming into the point guards or the guys playing point guard not getting them and keeping them in that flow.
0: Yeah, and so I've always thought of – you talk about the point guard thing. I've always thought of Femio to Ducali as – a off ball guard slash wing that can create with his dribble. I think he's a really good driver um, of the basketball when he gets in there. I think he has enough good court vision when he gets in there where he can kick it out or whatever you want to do, dish it underneath. I think he can do that. And I thought we saw that against UNC a lot, but I've never thought of him as a point guard and he's averaging almost three turnovers per game, which I think is indicative of that. Now I think Jamari's Burton is more of in the, point guard role, but I don't think he's a true point guard. I think he's more of a combo guard that can occasionally be that point guard when you need him to be, but he's not the guy you necessarily want him to be, and even if they had Nike Sabande here, Nike Sabande is not a point guard either, so really, it's been a while since we've seen Pitt have a true point guard. I guess the last guy you can maybe look to that was a true point guard was Sitting Deer when he gave him a little bit of minutes in 2018-2019 there, but it's been a while for pit when they have had that quarterback type point guard that was so common with this team under Jamie Dixon right
1: yeah absolutely uh you know you mentioned you know city and deer I think when you go back to that true point guard I think people it's funny at the time didn't really appreciate this guy enough uh but I think now would just you know trade anything to have him back and that's James Robinson Right, a guy that's really controlling the tempo of the game, takes care of the ball. You mentioned Femi's turnovers there. I mean, James Robinson was like a 5-1 to assist to turnover guy, and he just took timely shots. By the time he was a senior, he would just take those timely shots from dead on and hit those threes, and that's kind of what Pitt needs. Uh, I think you were pretty spot on in your evaluation of the guards so far. They just don't really have that, and I think it just puts them in a position where they're unable to dictate flow, first of all, and then they're unable to kind of sustain whatever flow they do end up finding themselves in.
0: Yeah, and I think it's so huge for a guy like Ithiel Horton, where you talk about a catch and shoot guard that can really hit it from anywhere beyond the arc. And we've seen Horton be able to create off dribble now, too. We've been able to see him create and drive and make some floaters, make some mid-range jumpers from the elbow or from the baseline, whatever it might be on the block. He's been able to do a lot of different things. And I feel like if, if I'm looking at what would be big for next year's team, if you're talking about winning next year jeff capel gets this fifth year that he probably is going to get you need a guy that can unlock horton and then nike sabande will also be unlocked by that i think femio de with his physicality if you get femio De cali off ball and he can play anywhere from anywhere from the two to the four really uh, if you're going small ball you can go to the four uh, i think that femi's skill set would also be really opened up by the point guard that's why i think it's so tough but also The tough part is if you're going to have your top four guards back next year, it's going to be tough to sell a guard to come in and see where his minutes are. Maybe you can get someone to come in, but it's not going to be an easy haul if you already have
1: four guards that you're comfortable with. That's a good point, Nick. You know, they're definitely going to have a rotation. You know, of course, everyone has to stay. But if it's those four guards that crack that rotation, you're right. Femi does give them some flexibility, I think, especially defensively to play other positions. I think right now with Burton and Femi, they do a lot of their damage kind of at the end of the shot clock, right? You know, Femi's going to reject a Hughley screen. He's a counter driver. So he's going to use that defensive momentum, try to counter drive off that screen, get in the lane. Burton, same kind of guy, right? He's just going to use that high ball screen. If they can find somebody to be better earlier in the shot clock to get them into something or get stuff out of their horn sets a little bit more, get stuff out of their flex sets a little bit more. I think then you can see a path for someone coming in and playing sooner than later because those guys right now aren't really bringing that as much. And you're right, you know, everyone can play off that. I think one of the things they really, really miss uh, with Nike Sibande is that he was able to attack immediately off the dribble. A lot of guys instincts at the guards, catch, call screen, dribble, dribble, dribble. Femi, or Nike was a guy, catch, immediately attack. And that collapses the defense, and it's kind of an opposite effect that he ha- that, ho- that he has with Horton. And I think that's why you saw those guys be very successful towards the end of the season, didn't win every game, but they were putting up some good numbers.
0: Yeah, and I think it's something definitely to consider as you go forward. The point guard need has been shown very, very clearly for this team over the last few games. But I, I do want to get into it a little bit more. But first, let me let you guys know about Bet Online because football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, play performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage and information. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where that game starts. All right, folks, welcome back here to the Locked on Pit podcast, continuing to talk a little bit about Pit the needs they have and and Steven I want to get into this game against Georgia Tech a little bit more specifically we touched on that then talked about kind of their overall needs for a point guard I guess defensively in this game I thought this was the big difference for them both in transition I thought they were really bad in transition the turnovers were bad and they couldn't get back in transition but also the dribble drive of guys like Usher and DeVoe really hurt this team it felt like Pitt's defensive effort was just worse. Now, what do you attribute that to? I know that Capel and, and Gee said that it was actually partially energy. Did you see that lack of energy? And, and is there something more deeper to that defensive struggle that they had against this Georgia tech team?
1: Well, I definitely think it was a lack of energy. I mean, when you come out and you say we just didn't have that same energy, uh, and you know, they played those kind of like four games uh, right in a row or, you know, over like a 10 day span or whatever that was. Uh, maybe you're seeing the backside of that. Uh, a little bit but you know in terms of preparation and in terms of energy i think this is one of the first times you could really look at you know playing hard has been like their moniker well you know we played real hard uh but this is kind of game i think you look at you mentioned those transition buckets i think the the epitome of that is like i think one came off like a made free throw and they were able to get a layup on the other end georgia tech was uh that's just a sign i I mean you can't say they're playing with a ton of energy in those situations Uh, i think four of the first six baskets that georgia tech made were layups uh, they conceded quite a few layups, quite a few open threes. And it wasn't necessary to DeVoe and Usher. You let all those other guys get early, uh, get going early. And they like, Rodney Howard, I tweeted how it looked like Dwight Howard at some point because of that. So they they did not do well defensively in basically any aspect. Yeah, it was tough to watch. Uh, you know, the, the only two guys that it seemed
0: like at times were playing with urgency was Gee and Hughley. And Hughley was more in the offensive end. gee had an unbelievable game. And yes. I think defensively, the issue becomes if your guards aren't playing with energy, and, and we saw, you know, Burton being a little bit uh, – he's kind of worn down. I wonder if, if Jamaris Burton, who has been so good, and I know he's well-conditioned, but playing 40 minutes essentially every night has worn him down. Ithiel Horton coming in a little later into the season, I don't think his conditioning is necessarily 100%. He hasn't played a full season of basketball, so maybe it improves. But I wonder if this stretch for for guys like Burton, Odukali – and Horton, who essentially have to play the whole game, they don't really have a backup guard outside of Isaiah Kudo. And and he's seen his minutes dwindle more and more. I think the lack of guard depth, and this is where you get Nike Sabande coming up again. It's the I think the lack of guard depth has worn down the team to a degree to where over time, over these long stretches, you're not going to see the sustained energy because they're probably just soaring, quite honestly. At times, they can't get up to it.
1: Yeah, I think the season is certainly catching up, you know, to a lot of those guys, you know, if you- Cable's mentioned, you know, Hughley's kind of in a freshman year in terms of being this deep in February. And obviously Horton wasn't around the team, you know, Ezikuta's not nor- normally going to log this many minutes. And-, and maybe Femi's a little bit more used to that, but you're now asking him to do a lot of things. You know, one of the things I've really talked about recently is how often you see him defending in the post. So he can do this because of his lengths, but he was banging with Brady Manick just one game before this. That's not a guy that, you know, and Brady's a shooter, but that's not really a situation where you want to keep putting your, you know, six four guard down there uh, against some of the bigger guys and then Burton's asked to navigate a lot of screens and that could certainly beat you up and I think they all all the guards have a little bit of efficiency in one area defensively uh, and when they kind of can't even bring you know the one good thing they do to the table though then you see uh, what you saw yesterday and those guards really profile I think I said at my pregame that they profile as guys they can't they've had problems defending right you know Franklin Gardner for UVA the Langfords from BC, you know, they've had their share of problems with a five-six, six, six, you know, or sorry, not five-six, six-five or six-six type of guard that could put the ball on the floor um, has been has been something that's been a challenge. And you know, no Adis Tony, I think he would have probably been that three-and-D answer that you put out there uh, quite a bit. And uh, you know, I think that's adding up. Yeah, well, Mo guy has been having to essentially condense the roles of about four or
0: five guys. It feels like into his own little world. And he's been phenomenal this year. He's been the shot blocker. He's been Essentially, their are three and D, if you will, but they need a three and D wing. And here's the thing that I get worried about when we're talking about next year. Obviously, Mogi had an unbelievable game last night and it was truly something to watch. I mean, he, he continues to be better and better and better. And, and what a grad transfer he is. But I think you said it last night. He is not replaceable. And it's going to be tough to replace Mogey's production, his energy, his three-pointing ability, and his shot blocking. I think, again, he's the only player in program history with 55-plus blocks and 35 or more uh, three-pointers made in a season. So this is a type of guy we've really never seen come through Pitt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's just, it's going to be hard to replace him. And The thing is, there's guys with that kind of skill set out there, but Everybody wants a guy like that. And, you talk—you know, they talk about how they didn't know he could shoot like this. They knew they were going to get a defensive type of big. They didn't see the shooting coming. So, Cable and I kind of stumbled on this. You look at a guy last year, he was able to do both those things. Well, his name's Evan Mobley, and he's in the NBA. He's probably going to be Rookie of the Year. So these guys just don't grow on trees and, you know, people have mentioned it, you hit on it. You might have to look at a couple different guys to fill in, not the statistical production, but everything you mentioned that he brings to the table. And, you know, that just lets you know how rare that he is. You know, you saw teams actually scheme against his defensive impact. I think, couple games ago, teams started doing a lot of exchanges in, in terms of ball screens, right? So they're going to exchange where Guy is not going to allow him. They're going to lift his guy up the perimeter so that he can't wreck havoc at the rim. And Pitt's countered by just switching that action, which I was a huge advocate for. And so you see that teams were really trying to be like, how can we not get our shots blocked by this guy? Uh, and that has a huge amount of value, regardless of the stats that you mentioned and you pointed out. I mean, the fact that you have to sit down and be like, okay, well, how do we not let this guy wreck havoc on our offense is, uh, is definitely... A, a big time value for Pitt, and uh, not sure how they're going to find a guy that can do that. Well, he's he's the type of
0: guy that is, as you mentioned, a a really a, a unicorn in terms of, you know, every team wants the wants a guy like this, and and I, I've seen people refer to this position kind of as like a hybrid post where they're just very rare, but you can have shot blocking. And three-point shooting in one player. And every team wants one of these. You know, I I guess if you look at guys that can do it, maybe like an Anthony Davis-type player. And and I know that Mo doesn't really bang down low like he does. But kind of in the same mold type of guy where he does this. And Guy is just a guy that is going to be so tough to replace. And and as I've said, I think that they need a 3-and-D guy. And and ideally, they're going to need a big, too, a shot-blocking big, whether that's a power forward or a true center. Uh, to come in and help them. Uh, it's tough. The issue is there's only one open scholarship right now. I'm assuming that there's going to be more to open up, but you can't lose Femi. You can't lose John Hughley. You can't lose Ithio Horton. You can't lose any of the guys that you need. You have this core of five, which is Horton, Jamarius Burton, Femi Cali, John Hughley, and Nike Sabande for next year. And all five of them have to come back. And so you have to open up scholarship somehow to replace Mogi and it's going to take at least two people in my opinion to replace him. Maybe they get a jump from Will Jeffers, Maybe it's Noah Collier taking a jump, but it's going to come from somewhere. And I feel like the portal is obviously the best option, but they need a lot to replace what Mogi brings.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, they you know, they stumbled on the shooting ability of Gee. I don't know if lightning is going to strike twice in that way, uh, but you know, you, you mentioned two names in there, you know, with Will and Noah and you know, they each bring something to the table uh, but we've also seen, you know, those guys are taking maybe one or two shots a game. There's a lot of nights, you know, zero points off the bench. Uh, and they don't bring the same defensive impact that that Mo does. And even though he doesn't bang down low, uh, as you mentioned, like an AD can, you know, you kind of see more that like uh, Christian Wood game uh, when he kind of broke out in the NBA as a shot blocker guy who had that perimeter skills. I mean, that's a huge compliment to Mo Gee, but at the same time, you, you know, Trusting him to defend on the perimeter and be able to cover ground and help underneath is such a rare uh, rare skill set that none of the incumbents I could see getting to that point. You're right. It's going to have to be the portal and they're going to have to get lucky. Absolutely, they will be, as we're going to continue to talk about here.
0: But first, folks, let me let you know about Built Bar because this is the time of year where I know everyone gives up on their New Year's resolutions, but not this year. You could stick to your resolution to eat right, thanks to Built Bar. It almost feels like it doesn't have to be a resolution because you can actually enjoy eating them. Because if you tried the Built Bar Puffs, I know if you haven't had it, you are missing out because they are one of Built Bar's best tasting bars. They're the first ever protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy, they're marshmallowy. They're not just a protein bar, they're a treat, and they're covered in 100% real chocolate. All built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, including Puffs. But here's the catch. You also get all the benefits of a protein bar low in calorie, low in sugar, low in carbs, high in protein. So replace your candy bars with these. You'll be healthier in no time. Here's all you have to do. Go to built.com, use the promo code LOX15 and get 15% off of your order. Use the promo code LOX15 for 15% off at Bilt.com. Folks, welcome back here to the Locked on Pit Podcast as we continue to talk here. Steven Gertz, Nick Fairbaugh talking about Pitt Georgia Tech in this loss that Pitt has suffered. And, and Steven, somehow we haven't talked about John Hughley much to this point, but I I've talked about him at length on this show. And I feel like, you know, another really good game for Hughley in this one. He had a double-double. Uh, him and gee were essentially the two guys that carried this team to the finish line, if you will. And and John Hughley. And that mid-range game has started to come on in the last three or so games. But this guy is a, sp- a special player. And, I, you know, there's going to be a fear of losing him, whether it's the portal. I think he's going to explore the draft. That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that he probably is going to go and try that draft out, uh, the process out. But this is a guy that has really been quite the find for Jeff Capo. I think people thought he might be good. I'm not sure if we ever thought he'd be this good this this early.
1: Yeah, I guess, you know, got to give cre- a little bit of credit here to, to cable and staff for understanding probably what they had in Hughley. I think the miss has been at times not understanding, you know, to have, you know, Justin Champagne last year who created a ton of offensive gravity and a guy you constantly had to account for. I don't think Pitt did a good job of us- utilizing that. I also don't think they do a great job of utilizing that. Uh, you know, this year with the offensive gravity that Hughley creates and kind of the fact that just his presence alone bends defenses. And there's only a handful of those guards and, you know, players that have been able to take advantage of that. And I think that's been a miss, but, you know, he's been uh, really good. Obviously, you know, at the next level, post play is just not that valued as much as, you know, being able to shoot, uh, screen setting, he probably has a little bit of ways to go, uh, but his passing ability is very good. And I think he's also been a pretty good post defender, uh, which I do think carries relevance uh, in his ball screen defense has been decent at times. And I think that's a big thing. So, yeah, if they were to not have him uh, would be huge. I mean, it would just absolutely uh, you know, reset the clock on this team uh, in the program. But, you know, he's he's just a guy that has been super dominant. And I think last night, as it pertains to the game, you saw the run coming early in that second half, right? They find ways every game. It just seems they run that ghost DHO, and either Femi or Burton will make that pass from the wing right into the post. Like, it's like, it seems that they can run that a lot more, even against the zone, and they just don't. And then he makes a nice little run early in the second half, and they forget about him. And they remember him at the very end of the game. Um, and they go through long stretches of that. Uh, and it's it's certainly contributed to some of their losses for sure.
0: Yeah, and I think it's been an issue for them all year. And and Hughley's not been a guy, you know, he gets volume, but the volume doesn't seem to be strategically timed in correct places. And that's been something that I've been kind of worried about with this team. And And, and I guess to ask you this, coaching at large on this team, I think that there's always been, A few issues that that really do raise eyebrows. You know, this team has had talent. It's not like they're devoid of talent under Jeff Capel. I mean, Xavier Johnson and Adi's tuning are starting on likely NCAA tournament teams this year. Uh, Justin Champagne is in the NBA. John Hugely is obviously great. I mean, they have talent. They've had talent with under Jeff Capel. The recruiting has been fine in terms of talent evaluation and actually talent coming into the program. But this team right now, it feels like they're playing above their some parts. But still, you see some of the same issues, the the weird turnovers that they have down the stretch. I mean, I think some of that stuff should not be happening in mid-February. Um, some, the end of the game stuff, I thought, you know, passing up open threes to take contested twos is, is weird to me. I, I mean, there's a lot in letting 15 seconds run off the clock on that second to last possession for Georgia Tech. There's a lot, I feel like, from a coaching standpoint that – I see that's an issue, but maybe you see even deeper. Maybe it's in their offensive sets, their defensive sets, whatever it might be. But I think there's a lot of coaching issues that continually come up as a theme for this team over these four years and that have not been fixed under Jeff Cape on his staff.
1: Well, Nick, I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me is they're the worst screen-setting team in the ACC over the last four years. It's not really that close. I mean, we see them all, and I'll, I'll probably end up watching every game at least twice. And you know, even the teams that aren't very have not been very good just set better screens. I mean, Georgia Tech was in the cellar yesterday. I thought their screen-setting was much better. Uh, Pitt's just never really been that. I think part of that is some of those guys understand there's a responsibility after setting the screen. So they flare early. Some of it is the guards usage. I mean, their best screen setter, Noah Collier has probably sent as many offensive foul setting screens as he has actually made really good plays out of that uh, in terms of point production. So it's been a problem. And when you really think about offense now in 2022, you know, it started with the Spurs and then kind of where the Warriors ended up in the early 2010s, you know, ball screens is a huge part of everybody's offense. So if you can't do that uh, and Pitt obviously doesn't have great isolation players unless you consider, you know, Hughley on the block isolated, but you know, that's, that's how you unlock good offense. And that's just something that they don't do. I mean, they run, you've seen, they run that horns action, You know, Hughley will dive, Guy lifts, and then, you know, it's up to Guy to either make a play, the guard cuts through and tries to set a flex screen. There's almost no contact on any of that stuff. And that just doesn't allow guys that are limited offensively to get space to have a defense bend to them or anything like that. And I think that's caught, you know, they can't create advantages. Defensively, you you nailed it a lot with uh, you know the timing of certain things. You know, you kind of saw them go to the zone during that three game win streak at the end as like a surprise. But I think we've also seen them go to a zone and get torched for like five possessions, and you're wondering like why are they doing this? Um, and you know the the timing of certain things and and some of the matchups. And, and again, they're not a good screen navigation team on the other side. That's a thing. Um, You know, Femi has had ball watching issues, but he's gotten better. Horton is not a good screen navigator. And I think that's been, you know, kind of the downside to all the offense he brings. So when you really think about that, well, we don't set screens well and we don't defend ball screens well. That's how you end up with a team that's usually, you know, sub 500 all the time.
0: Yeah, and it has been a consistent issue with the team this year. They haven't fallen apart. It doesn't seem like the, the chemistry issues that have popped up in recent years have popped up, but the on court stuff. It's still there, even with the three-game win streak. There were still some warning signs, and it's come up throughout the year in terms of that. And I guess now when you look at it overall, with the roster that they have, you know, we're we're guaranteed only four more games of this team this year. Miami, Duke, Notre Dame, at least one ACC tournament game, potentially more than that if they could win. But we'll see how that works out. Does this team, I guess, you know, Jeff Capel, it looks like he's going to get his fifth year. You know, he won that UNC game. I think that locked it up for him. Plenty of people will call for him to be fired. But I think as you stand right now, can this – how likely is it that this team – let's assume that, you know, I guess that they do keep their main guys, Hughley, Femi, Jamarius, Burton, Nike, Sabande, and Ethio Horton. That's not even – that might not happen. It might not happen. It's very possible one of those guys goes to the portal. But let's say that ideally goes right. How likely is it that this team next year is competing on the bubble – for the NIT, for the tournament, it's got to be pretty hard, right? I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I don't think it's that likely.
1: I would agree with you there, Nick. I I don't see the conference as a whole being down like this for long periods of time, which means, you know, Pitt has to raise up to that level too. You know, we all know, you know, there's no help coming as of right now. You know, you mentioned the one scholarship earlier, and that's not attributed to anybody right now. So with the given roster, well, we know at, at best, they're a little bit below middle of the pack with the guys now in a down ACC. Now you do project a little bit more, right? You project all those guys to take some small step forward. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there, there's a lot of big leaps that that may or may not happen. Uh, and again, you know, you're not going to have Guy, and he's been a big part of what they're doing. So even with that core five, he's not going to be a part of that. And I think that sets them back. So uh, do I think that, you know, they'll, be in that position i mean i guess a lot could change but right now i mean i'm with you the the trend is uh, to be even the talk to be on the bubble for an nit i think would be a victory and I, i i mean let alone the tournament uh as for these last games you know i think we would it surprise anybody to have a puncher's chance in one of these after losing to Georgia Tech? Absolutely not. Would it be <laughs> would it be surprising for them to lose all these three games in terrible fashion? Yeah, I don't think that surprise anybody either. So it's just it's so hard to predict uh, with these guys on any given night. But you know, if you, when you really kind of look at it and what's going to be, you know, what you project, um, I could see another season very close to this one.
0: Yeah, and if that's the case, and again, I get Jeff Capel's going to get the chance to give himself another year let things go, but he's now got, you know, when he accumulated that talent, it felt like last year was their chance to to really pop through. It felt like it. And then obviously all the off court stuff happened and John Hughley was lost for the year and all this happened. And essentially it cracked. I felt like that was the team last year where they had legitimate depth. They had legitimate talent. I feel like if the stuff off the court doesn't necessarily happen, you know, the team chemistry issues don't happen. And then you can see them be punched through. But now Jeff Capel doesn't have the the allure to sell the vision that he's building something here. He's going to be in year five. So it's tough to sell recruits. And this is why I think he saw Judah Minsky commit uh, in the same way. And it's tough. And so I get he's probably going to get a year five. But, man, if I am a recruit or I am in a portal, it's tough for Jeff Capel to sell me on a vision. It just feels like again because it looks so unlikely it just feels like he's almost like a dead man walking at this point and it's tough and he's going to have to really pull off a a heck of a job I think to uh to get this team turned into a point where he gets a sixth year.
1: Yeah, that could definitely be be tough, you know, we you talked earlier on about the guard rotation next year. You know, what's your conversation with a guard if you're trying to get a guard here, how do you sell them on the fact that you're going to return for experienced guards uh that definitely have time to play you know if you're you know a big you know or a post player well you're not going to be in front of john hugley so it comes down to like we talked about you could you could try to be in the guys that are going to be like gee well those guys are probably looking to go pro or play at a big time winning program uh and those guys aren't gonna be. so like the one conversation you could have the next Gee that shoots and blocks shots well that pit is probably not the destination you're, you're looking to come to, even if you can say, well, look what this guy just did. Uh, so it's, it's going to be tough. And, you know, I think we'll have another year and then, yeah, you have to think about that year six, you know, if you've had just four or five losing seasons, uh, is this the best fit at that point? And you're right though, the vision, you know, the brick by brick and all those other things um, are great taglines. Uh, but at this point, you know, you may only have one brick up or two bricks up. You know, I don't, I, I think at this point people are looking for a, a more of a foundation than that.
0: Yeah. And I agree completely with it. I think that Pitt, continuously has to try and grow it. And I think the good thing that he could do first is land Noah bachelor, who he committed for Memphis. He sounded like he was going to commit to Pitt previously. I think he's a guy that can fit two through four can fit, fill some of the Mogey stuff. He's a guy that can contribute next year as a freshman. So getting a young guy in there that could actually contribute to the team right away would be nice. And and I also think the, the other thing we haven't talked about is you're going to need some guys, because again, they have limited scholarships. Maybe a guy like Oladapo goes into grad transfers, Maybe Onyibuchi is a kudo, uh, graduates and moves on with his life's work. Maybe get Chris Payton out, uh, Maxim Muddison transfers, all these guys. You can see all this happening. But also the other guys that we've talked about, Noah Collier, um, Will Jeffries, Nate Santos, who have played significant minutes early in the year. Santos is only a freshman. Those guys are probably going to have to take at least decent enough leaps to where they can be bench players for you and they can give you some type of, I guess – Minutes, quality minutes, I guess the one I'm most – I guess I like Noah Collier, what he's brought. I thought he's had some gritty defensive minutes recently, but Jeffress is really a rebounder defensive guy who his shot hasn't come along. And while Santos started off real hot and he was known for shooting, his shooting hasn't translated just yet, and maybe he just wasn't ready. So they're going to need guys on their bench to also take that step up and and help this team because they're going to need to be at least eight deep, I think.
1: I would 100% agree with that. You know, we talked about the bench not really giving them any points, and that's usually without Santos getting any minutes. Uh, I think for, you know, starting with Nate, you know, he he loses the point of attack a lot off the dribble, and you saw early in the season in those games in non-conference that, you know, there are games where he's hitting the three, but there's a lot of guys who are getting two feet on the paint off the dribble on Santos. Obviously, that's a problem Pitt just had against Georgia Tech with their starters uh with will you know there's an athleticism he flashes on defense that you take a look at a guy and you're like oh my gosh you know you're like six seven six eight you look you profile exactly like the three and d uh that pit would need but you only you're only really bringing that d side although offensively he gets a ton of offensive rebounds and there's value there but he just hasn't been able to use that defensive athleticism on the offensive end he's putting the ball on the floor a little more but just the three three aspect and the jumper just not there uh, and then Collier. I mean, look, if Collier grows like two inches and adds twenty pounds, I think Pitt's like really in business next year with him. Uh, but presuming that is not the case, uh, he slots in kind of funny. You know, six eight, two hundred pounds. You know, at a, at the next level is more of like a three. Pitt need, needs him to be like more of a a three four uh, in his game. Sometimes is more like a five. So I think that's kind of where they are with him. Now I think he will. I predicted him to have a breakout year. I think in some ways, I guess you could say he did. But uh, you know, he's he has to be able to shoot at some point. Like I think finishing around the rim has to go up, but he doesn't give you like that dunker spot jumper. You know, he doesn't give you like that elbow jumper, you know, for a guy that can really roll and be dangerous, that short roll that you've seen with Femi and Hughley, uh, you know, that they did one game and just completely stopped doing it for, you know, reasons that we can't explain. Uh, I don't know if Collier can really get there. At least I think any kind of pick and pop or something like that. So yeah, you're right. All of those guys have to make a leap forward. Um, And, but to be honest with you, I feel like all those things from what we know are big leaps. They're not just like almost there, right? Like if Will was shooting 31% from three, be like, well, he's almost there. Or if Nate was, you know, coming in and making any shots at this point. But it is hard for shooters to come in, get one shot in five minutes and and expect them to make it every time. Uh, And in Noah's case, he is getting the minutes, but I don't, I'd have to look and see. I, I think Noah's probably shot more than or less than three jumpers this year. Oh, I mean, it's gotta be less. I don't know, left. know if I have you know. any tape on him taking a jumper, so it could be less than uh, one. Uh, so, you know, that those are all big leaps. If we don't even know what his jumper form looks like from the free throw line. His free throw shooting form is a
0: little wonky and, and yeah. non-traditional to me. And I feel like that's something that should get fixed. But we do not know what his jumper looks like at all. But Noah Collier is going to have to be someone that they get big minutes from for sure. Uh, and I, I think overall, this team is just going to have a lot of things that have to go right for them next year to compete. Well, Steve, thanks for coming on, man. Let everyone know where they can find you, find your work, read your stuff, do all that great stuff.
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, you know, at Steven with a PH underscore Gertz. Uh, I write for Rivals Panther Lair. Uh, you can check out my stuff there. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much uh, pretty much the main places. All right, folks. That was all for today's episode.
0: As always, thanks for listening. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit about Miami, obviously coming to the Pete. We'll see if Pitt can maybe upset one of the top four teams in the ACC. And we'll also talk about women's basketball. Jayla Everett was dismissed from the team this week, and we'll talk about the impact of that, Lance White's outlook, and all that coming up. So, folks, as always, thanks for listening. As we finish, Hail to Pitt.